to welcome the Monmouth Community Christian Church. It's such a privilege to worship the Lord with you today. So there's these seasons of life where God gives us like a really clear taste of the community that he wants to form among us as his people. And for me, a season in which he did this in a very clear, tangible way was when I went to Fuller Seminary in Los Angeles. I had left my hometown in Minneapolis. I left my family, my friends, as God led me there to study and prepare for further ministry. And I arrived not knowing anybody, but I quickly discovered that God had prepared a community of like-minded young adults, people my age who were also training for the ministry, who were also seeking God's will for their lives. We were all from different places, different states, even different nations, but God brought us together into this community where we could each feel that we belonged. You know, that, that, that we belonged there, that we had people there, friends there, who had our backs, who would be there to pray for us and support us and stand with us. And when you have that type of community where you feel that you belong, it gives you this sense of freedom to be open and to invite people into your life, to be transparent to be honest about struggles and hardships. And so there we were, we were all far from home, and we banded together, we prayed for one another, we supported each other. And today we're going to look at two biblical values that I experienced in that season in my life, and that I believe that God desires to develop more and more in our lives today as his church, his community here at MCCC. Increasingly, I believe God is calling us to become a community that embraces each other and those around us. And I believe that God is calling us more and more to become a community that is marked by authenticity as people who are able to share openly and honestly about the struggles that we face and the ways that we need Jesus to, guard, to guide us, to help us, to lead us forward in our journeys of faith. Now, the biblical reflections that I'm sharing this morning have grown out of our church's involvement in the Thriving Immigrant Church Initiative. We sometimes call it TICI, Thriving Immigrant Church Initiative. In 2021, uh, my clicker just went out, if you could advance the slide uh, when you are able. Uh, in 2021, Professor Peter Chaw, who's a co-author of a number of well-known books, including Growing Healthy Asian American Churches, and, and a book that many of your parents have read called Following Jesus Without Dishonoring Your Parents, Peter Chaw then also teaches at Trinity Evangelical Divinity School in Chicago. He invited congregations across the entire country to apply, to be part of this experience, a two-year journey funded by a Lilly Grant called the Thriving Immigrant Church Initiative, TICI. Twelve churches would be selected to participate and invited into this project, which has two goals. TICI has two goals. First, 
to enable immigrant churches to better reach and retain the second generation and thereby strengthen the relationships between the first and second generation. And secondly, to increase the ability of immigrant churches to reach out to the community around them, especially beyond their dominant ethnicity. After much discussion and prayer, our board of overseers agreed to submit an application and we were accepted into this project in the summer of 2021. Our church's TICI team is made up of representatives from each generation and each congregation. I myself am the team lead of our MCCC TICI team. Sister Bonnie Lynn is the second generation representative from the English congregation. Uh, Pastor David Haar is the first generation representative from the Cantonese congregation. Elder James Chang is the first and second generation representative from our English congregation. And Elder Ron Lowe is our first gen rep from our Mandarin congregation. And if you have really good eyes, you can see each of those people in that photo. This was taken in October at Trinity Evangelical Divinity School with the other leaders of the other churches involved. And we've now participated in two gatherings with these other church leaders, one in April 2022 in Herndon, Virginia, and the second last month in this picture in Chicago. As we were at our most recent gathering, we were given the assignment as a team to reflect on a biblical value that our church does a good job of living out. And that's also a strategic value for reaching and retaining the second generation. And so our, our team wrestled with this and reflected on our church and considered various angles and perspectives. And we noticed that, that our church is a very warm and welcoming place. And our people here at MCCC often display tremendous kindness toward visitors. And so our team then chose to call this strength, this value, biblical value that our church already exhibits and that we can also strengthen the value of embracing. The value of embracing. Next, we were asked to reflect on a biblical value that could be strengthened in our church's life. Something that is not so strong, but is also very important for, for keeping the second generation and, and strengthening that relationship between the first and second generation. And as we discussed this, we realized that sometimes there can be pressure in our church, and perhaps this is true of every church, but sometimes in our church, there can be this pressure to present a perfect external image as though everything in our lives is always going well, <coughs> as though there aren't ever any challenges that concern us. Everything's fine. Everything's good. This realization led us then to choose as a value that we want to strengthen in our church, the value of authenticity. We quickly discovered that we were not alone in realizing that we need to strengthen this particular value. At least 
of the other churches also identified authenticity or a closely related value, something very close to authenticity as something that they also needed to strengthen. And so during our time together this morning, I'm stepping away momentarily from my sermon series on Jesus' words to the seven churches in the book of Revelation in order to sketch how Jesus affirms these two biblical values, embracing authenticity in his encounter with the sinful woman who anoints his feet in Luke chapter 7. And I'm grateful to Minister Matt Lau for beginning our reflection on this passage several months ago. Today, though, we're going to more directly speak about how the values of embracing and authenticity illustrated by this passage apply to our church's life. And so Minister Matt began our reflection, and today we're taking the next step toward application. So let's begin by reading this passage. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. I'm sorry, I've been forgetting to click. Two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii, the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave both the debts of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Let's first consider the way that this scene reveals how important it is to Jesus that our community be one that embraces others, especially those who have obvious struggles. Jesus is invited to eat dinner at the home of Simon the Pharisee, a member of the strictest religious group 
among the Jews in that society of that day. This group strove to fulfill the legal external righteousness set forth in the law of Moses, the rules that you had to live by. And by keeping these rules, they were attempting to attain God's favor, to to win God's blessing through their hard work. What a contrast to the person who enters the room to anoint Jesus. Luke tells us that she was a woman in that town who lived a sinful life. Now, we don't know what her sins were exactly, but we are told she had failed to live according to the law of Moses, and everybody knew it. Her behavior had violated God's standard of perfect righteousness. She had no right to claim or to expect God's favor. The fact that her sins were obvious then determined how Simon the Pharisee believed she should be treated. He believed that anybody who's truly righteous would reject her, would refuse contact with her because of her many sins. He then judges Jesus for not rejecting her. He says, if this man, referring to Jesus, if Jesus were a prophet, he would know. He would see. He would understand what kind of woman is touching him, that she's a sinner. He'd reject her. This proves he's not a prophet. In other words, Simon's thinking this woman's sin should disqualify her from kindness. It should disqualify her from inclusion within the religious community. This is what Simon is thinking. The mistake that Simon is making here is one that religious people are tempted to make again and again. In fact, I think that we are sometimes tempted to make this very same mistake. This is the mistake of forgiving. This is the mistake of forgetting exactly why God accepts us. The Bible clearly tells us in Romans chapter 3 that none of us are made right with God or made righteous through keeping God's law. We read this. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. In other words, the right relationship that we need, the righteousness that God requires of us, is not given to us because we follow all the rules. This righteousness, this right relationship with God is given to us only by believing in Jesus Christ, by placing our faith and trust in him. Paul then continues in this passage. He says, there is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Jews possessed God's law, and they were striving to live according to it, to follow it, to to please God by following the rules. Gentiles are non-Jews who 
didn't have the law, and in that day, they by and large had no idea what God required, what God's righteousness was. And yet Paul says it doesn't matter. Jews, Gentiles, we're all in the same predicament. We're all in the same boat. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. It doesn't matter how much you know about God. It doesn't matter how hard you try to keep all the rules and how successful you think you are at doing what God's asking you to do. All of us have fallen short of God's righteousness. All of us have missed the mark. All of us have sinned. The Pharisee Simon is looking at the sinful woman. He's judging her. He's he's thinking that he's done such a better job than she has at keeping God's rules. And therefore, he's such a better person. And therefore, he deserves to be in the presence of God while she does not. But he's missing the, the fact that he, too, is a sinner. And that the only way he will ever be made right with God is by placing his faith in Jesus Christ. It's only as we place our faith and trust in Jesus Christ that that Jesus opens wide the doors to us of God's mercy, grace, and love. Only by placing our faith in Jesus do we freely receive the righteousness that we could never earn and that none of us could ever deserve. Let's now read Paul's complete sentence here where we see all these pieces fit together. He says this, There is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came. By Christ Jesus. Simon, the rule-following Pharisee, is as much in need of God's grace as this woman at the feet of Jesus, the obvious sinner. Thankfully, Jesus shows us that the fact that this woman is loved by God determines her value far more than her sin determines her value. Jesus extends grace to this obvious sinner who kneels at his feet in humble repentance. And Jesus thereby models the biblical value of embracing each person as dearly loved by God. Notice that Jesus never affirms her sinful choices. Jesus does not disregard the weight and consequence of sin. In fact, Jesus will soon bear the full weight of human sin on the cross under the righteous judgment of God so that sinners like her and like me and like you may be forgiven so that we may be set free. The grace that 
Jesus extends to this sinful woman should remind us of Jesus' words to the woman caught in adultery in John chapter 8. Because in that passage, we find both Jesus' grace and his truth side by side, and this is always how Jesus operates. We see Jesus' grace in his words to the woman caught in adultery, neither do I condemn you. And we also see his truth spoken to this woman in John chapter 8, when he says, go now and leave your life of sin, grace and truth. This is the grace and truth that calls us out of sin and into the forgiveness, the freedom, the new life of those who follow Jesus Christ. I believe that God is calling us as a church to more radically live out this biblical value that Jesus models and that the heart of the gospel requires this value of embracing each person whom God brings to our church as somebody deeply loved by God. As we extend the love and mercy of God to them, valuing them, as a person created in God's image for whom Jesus Christ died, we follow Jesus' example of embracing them, of extending love to them. And we do this deeply aware that we ourselves are also sinners, called by God to proclaim his love and salvation to the other obvious sinners around us. And as we do this, knowing we're sinners, sharing his love with other obvious sinners around us, this pushes us then more deeply into the second biblical value that we find in Luke 7, authenticity. Authenticity. Now, as I walked around the large meeting room at the thriving Immigrant Church Initiative gathering in Chicago this month, reading the value that each church put on the wall as something that they need to work on. I saw the same concept again and again, vulnerability, genuineness, authenticity. In fact, not all the churches there were Asian American, but I think almost every single Asian American church there put this on the wall as the thing that they need to grow in. Now, why is it so hard for us to be real with each other. Perhaps some would point to cultural pressures to save face, to appear successful. I think, though, that Simon the Pharisee and his attitude illustrates a theological obstacle, uh, a false way of thinking that becomes a barrier and that stops us from being real and authentic with one another. Could it be at times that we're tempted to join Simon in believing that we're better than the obvious sinners around us? That we have a greater claim upon God's favor than they do? That we only need to be forgiven of a little bit, but they need to be forgiven of much? If this is how we see ourselves in comparison with the people around us, then Jesus' word should shake us out of our false delusions. Jesus says, 
Whoever has been forgiven little loves little. Simon the Pharisee's mistake was not that he recognized that the woman anointing Jesus' feet was a sinner. Her sins were obvious. His mistake was that he couldn't see his own sins. He couldn't recognize his own need for a Savior. He wasn't even being honest with himself, let alone being authentic with the people around him. The Pharisees were famous in that day for projecting an image of external perfection. So focused were they on appearing outwardly flawless and worthy of God's favor that Jesus called them whitewashed tombs, which are beautiful on the outside, but like tombs are filled with decay, filth, and rot. Jesus exposed their true spiritual condition. He said, in the same way, on the outside, you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside, you are full of hypocrisy. You're full of wickedness. Religious people in every age, in every culture, can fall into the Pharisee trap, in which we focus on the external image of perfection that we're trying to project to other people but we neglect the actual spiritual condition of our own hearts. The woman in this passage understood her sinful condition. She displayed the authenticity that Jesus affirms by openly repenting, turning to Jesus, falling at his feet in repentance. For us as a church, perhaps the test that reveals whether we are more like Simon the Pharisee or like Jesus is how we respond when obvious sinners enter our presence. Do we judge them as worse than ourselves? Do we hold back from them? Do we socially reject them? Or do we embrace them, welcome them into our community, give them an opportunity to learn about our Savior who calls sinners like them and like me and like you to follow him? Are we honest enough? Are we authentic enough to recognize that they are no worse than we are? We together need a Savior. The difference is that we have met Jesus. We've been forgiven and cleansed. As followers of Jesus, I think the only way that we'll avoid judging and condemning and rejecting obvious sinners is if we cultivate a church community marked by authenticity. This is the genuineness, the transparency, the humility, the vulnerability that God's grace extended towards sinners like us demands. We will only cultivate heart-level openness and honesty 
when we recognize that we too are saved, not by our external perfection, not by all of our good works, but by God's free grace extended to us through Jesus Christ's death on the cross. If we truly believe that the grace at the center of the good news of Jesus Christ, then I think we have no choice but to become a community that exudes the authenticity, humble openness, and vulnerable honesty of sinners who know that we've been rescued only by God's mercy. As we do so, we'll find ourselves kneeling next to others, kneeling next to obvious sinners like the woman at the feet of Jesus Christ with tears of repentance and gratitude flowing from our eyes in response to his mercy, his grace, his love extended through the cross that we could never earn, that we do not deserve. And in this moment of embracing, this moment of authenticity, we'll experience the joy of those who've been forgiven of much and whose only response is to love our precious Savior much. During our thriving Immigrant Church Initiative gathering at Trinity in Chicago this month, Professor Peter Cha told us that we have a choice about what kind of church we're going to build. Do we want our church to become a museum like the Met, where beautiful works of art, where all the people in the church try to show off how externally perfect they are? A beautiful museum. That would be a church that Simon the Pharisee would prefer. Or are we willing to admit that our church is a hospital in which broken, sinful, and suffering people can genuinely, honestly admit that we need a Savior? when Pharisees and teachers of the law complained because Jesus was hanging out with obvious sinners. We read that Jesus answered them. He said, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. As we grow in our ability to live out these values that Jesus affirms of embracing, and of authenticity. Let's together pray that God will form our church, MCCC, to increasingly become a spiritual hospital, not a museum, a hospital that Jesus uses to call obvious sinners to repentance and faith and hope and eternal life to the forgiveness made possible by Jesus' grace. We read, that we read that then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Let's pray together. 
Lord Jesus, this morning, we hear your call. We see your example. And Lord, we ask you to forgive us for all those times that that we've been like Simon the Pharisee, thinking that we're better than the obvious sinners around us, when in reality, each one of us is a sinner saved by your grace through faith alone. And all we can do is fall at your feet, tears in our eyes, and thank you, precious Savior, for, for reaching out to us, for forgiving us. I pray that today that you start giving us in a fresh way your heart of authenticity. Lord, this, this honesty that admits our need for you so that we can stand together, support one another, and reach out together to others who need you. We pray this in your name, Jesus.